Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Like the room that Instagram, Facebook, that all of these are, if we were to visualize what the room literally looks like, it would be what's happening. You're standing on a stage in front of 100, 200, 1,000, many thousand people. Like you have a general idea kind of who's in the audience, but you don't really know them. You're blindfolded because you can't see exactly who you're talking to. And you're making an announcement. And every once in a while you get like a tap on the shoulder of like, that was cool. That was cool. Or maybe for the things on the most extreme, you get a comment being like, yes, that was awesome. Oh my God, thank you. Or you are such a monster. How could you have possibly said this? <laughs> da, da, da. Like, that's the entire interaction. So like, what kind of, is that a place where we're going to get up and be like, hey, like I'm on the stage. Like, this is kind of who I am. Hi. How's everybody doing? This is me. Or is that a place where we're going to perform and try to craft and create a very specific way of being that's going to be liked or going to be approved of. Welcome back to another episode of the Look Up Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Weinstein. And as always, I just want to start by thanking you for continuing to listen along and for supporting the show. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends and continue to reach out to me because I'm loving a lot of the feedback that I've been getting from you all. And it's really helping me to continue to produce this show every week. That's my goal to release one episode per week for the rest of the year. Also, I'm working on a one month special for the podcast on the criminal justice system probably going to change the name of the pod to Locked Up for that month. I've got some incredible guests that have already agreed to come on the show, and it's been another deep exploration of what I believe is a major societal issue, uh, and that's the prison system in the United States. So I hope that you guys will tune in for those episodes. should be coming out in the next few months. But otherwise, continuing to explore some other issues, specifically, as you know, issues related to our use of technology. And this episode was no exception. I had the opportunity to chat with Max Stossel. Max is a poet, and it's not something that you hear very often these days. But this is both his passion and his full-time work. He's been able to sustain himself doing just that, writing and performing poetry. A number of Max's poems were recorded and then turned into videos. Uh, on you, you can find them on YouTube. The videos went viral, specifically one of my favorites called The Panda is Dancing, which highlights the challenges technology poses to our mental health and relationships. Max continues to perform his poetry on his Words That Move tour, and given some of the analogies that he drops in this episode, I think you'll see that he's a master at his craft. Max was recommended to me from a number of past guests, and I was personally eager to speak to him given his role as the head of education at the Center for Humane Technology. The Center for Humane Technology is a foundation that is educating individuals and regulators and creating new resources for all of us to build better relationships with our phones and with our media use. At the Center for Humane Tech, Max works to educate elementary school to high school level students on the importance of digital wellness. And this was an interesting episode because when I entered Max's apartment for the interview, he was in the middle of a writing workshop with his friend, Derek Hake, who is also his barber. But as it turns out, 
Derek is an ordained minister with a lot of beautiful thoughts to share. He stayed to listen to us record the show, and Max and I invited him in to share some of those thoughts with you all, and I was really blown away by what he had to say. Unfortunately, this was the first time that I had two guests on the show. My microphone setup is really only made for two people, so there may be some sound volume level issues, but hopefully you'll understand why it's important for me to keep Derek's thoughts in there. We discussed Max's path to becoming a poet, his work at the Center for Humane Technology, all of our personal relationship to social media and Instagram. We talked about people who post after Burning Man and and what that means. We talked about vulnerability theater in the social media realm and how even the best of intentions can be turned into Frankensteins when we create these avatars of ourselves. And I also was able to discuss Fire Festival in a little more detail than I ever had on one of these episodes. Finally, we close with the importance of setting intention. Uh, and, you know, again, it was a long episode, about two hours, so I'll stop here. But I hope you enjoy it. If you have any feedback on the show, you can always email me, mark at thelookuppodcast.com. And I look forward to continue to bring you episodes every week. Thanks. Max Dossel, thank you so much for coming on the Look Up podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, you know, we were just having a conversation about a lot of things that I hope that we get to talk about on this on this episode today. But I did have a place that I wanted to start um, in kind of looking back at, at your career. I was just curious when you decided that you wanted to become a poet. So I actually was at a friend's house and I met a poet named Inq, who you might know through mutual friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, I'm a poet. And I didn't understand what that meant. And mm-hmm. then these two friends of mine are two pe- two women who are very good at getting people who have a talent to perform their talent. Um, and he, they're like, oh, please do one. We do one poem. We do one poem. Please, please, please. <laughs> Which like is a really annoying thing to get as an artist. <laughs> like when people do that, but there's something about these girls that they're very good at are actually getting people. They are. Oh, okay. I think um, I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, the, the Agarwal. Um, <laughs> and they were in their living room and he did, he performed a poem. And I was just really struck with, I was hit with it. And... I was thinking about it on the way home and I started writing on the way home about why I liked it. And the first two lines of what I wrote rhymed. And so I thought like, no, oh. I'm like, okay, I can do this. Let's give this a shot. Mm-hmm. And I finished that poem. I saw him the next day and said, Hey, like I wrote something after you did your poem. Do you want to hear it? And he was kind of like, okay, like kind of, <laughs> I think he maybe gets that, that a lot. To you a lot um, I now get it sometimes. And I'm, I'm grateful that people are, are sharing, are sharing their art, but there is an awkward situation that can happen when someone is standing in front of you sharing their creativity and it can create, it can be a tense they're, moment. They're looking for something. Maybe. Looking for a validation or a certain yeah. level of enthusiasm that you may or may not want to give. But anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, but he was like, wow, you should, you should consider pursuing this. Um, I started writing just while I was like on the train usually uh, after that. And when I had, when I had Subway Love, um, when I wrote Subway Love, I started sharing that with people. So people would say, hey, Beautiful can you video. send me that? Thank you. And yeah. so, yeah. And then, so the reason I made the video was people would say, hey, can you send me that poem? And I'd write it down and I'd think, this is just not the same written, like as words on a page as it is performed. And I was like, how can I make this, the essence of this thing live in our digital world? And so I 
was looking online for videographers who were really good at getting the core of a message and enhancing it with visuals. And I found this guy, Matthew Friedell, who had made a video. Did you ever see the David Foster Wallace, This Is Water, yes. like grocery store video? Yes. And so he had made that. And I was like, wow, like he took this, the essence of this message and he just enhanced it with words. I want to work with him. Cold called him, performed the poem for him on the phone and was like, hey, can you like, will you do this with me? And he was like, what's your budget? And I was like, I don't have any money. Just <laughs> um, and he was like, ah, just fly me out and we'll do it. <laughs> and I was like, great. Um, and he came and I had so lucked out because I've now learned that it is very rare to have one person who is a director, cinematographer, editor, effects person, all in one. He happened to be all those things. Wow. Um, and we worked together and made that video. Video went viral. Um, and that started to build the career as a poet. And so, yeah, now I'm doing this show, Words That Move, uh, in L.A. on November 6th is the next performance. Um, and that's been incredibly fulfilling as sharing it live is what is most fruitful and meaningful for me in this. But then also making these short films, performing at conferences and events. And that's my become my primary source of income is wow. poetry, which is very cool and very much not what it's about, but tends to be a symbol of like, oh, I'm really doing this thing. I'm making money as a poet. Um, and that's been wonderful. Yeah, for better or worse, you know, that seems to be the scoreboard or at least, you know, the at, at least validates what you can do, that you can continue to do it. Like it's not for money itself, but if you can make money doing your art, then you can continue to do your art as your primary you know, primary work because you can support yourself. So there's nothing, you know, nothing wrong with that. Definitely nothing wrong with it. If I had to pick one, I would say for worse of just in that it's a very complicated mental thing that starts to happen mm. where um, like when it wasn't about money or identity at all for me, it was very much like this fun thing that like, ooh, and it's happening. The inspiration is here. It's happening. Let me try to catch it. Let me play with it. Um, this is f like, oh, and wow, I created this thing. This is amazing. Mm. Um, and then as soon as money is in that conversation, there's thoughts of like, what topics do I want to write about? Like that there's demand for or market for. Um, and it starts to seep into your thinking, even if you try not to let it seep into your thinking. And so I actually, up, up and coming creative people, I'm very encouraging for like, have a job that pays you money and let that be separate and let money be about money. And if your art happens to start making you money, that's so cool. That's awesome. And let that happen, but try to keep it out of being the driving force. Cause I don't think we create the things that we want to create and feel come through us if we're letting money be the, be the driver. But it is, it's, but it's, I'm grateful um, that it's, that it's starting to happen for me this way. And I also have this other income stream of the Center for Humane Technology, which I'm really grateful to have, wow. um, the, to not put all the pressure on art to make me money. And I definitely look forward to talking to you more about the Center for Humane Technology. Um, I had a similar experience. Uh, I studied yoga in 2014 in between my first and second startup. And, um, you know, I love yoga, still practice to this day. The philosophy is extremely important in my life. And um, it guides me. And so, you know, I really wanted to deepen my practice and I signed up for yoga teacher training at this place called yoga to the people, um, here in New York donation based studio. And I filled out the application two thirds of the way through and I didn't submit it. And I just kept going more and more and more and more. And one day, um, one of the instructors came up to me and she said about a month later, she was like, Hey, you know, why didn't you sign up for teacher training? And I was like, wait a second, like, do you guys have 
some kind of like SEO, not SEO or some kind of like capture on your website that knows that I filled this out. And I was like, how do you know that I want to be a teacher? She's just like, I can tell that you would love it and that this is really important to you. And so I went and I became a yoga instructor. I did my 200 hour training over 10 weekends, 20 hours a weekend which was great in New York, having an excuse not to go out or go to brunch or something like that, you know, having a reason to say no, yeah. which doesn't come as naturally to me. And, um, and then I became a teacher and everything changed because, you know, yoga teaching like is an art as well, but there's a commercial element to it. And if it becomes your main source of income, then there's kind of things you have to not have to do, but you're encouraged to do on Instagram right? To like post certain, certain types of poses that get people interested in you. Um, there's a politics to the studio. And so I, I, it resonates completely with me what you're saying about, you know, when something that you love or your art becomes your primary source of income, it also comes with challenges while it might be perceived to be the dream. And yeah, and I, I, yeah, I really think it's, it's a conversation I like having with creative people because I think there's a narrative in our communities, especially if like, just do what you love, like go, you're going to make money doing what you love and like, mm. great, maybe. And if that's your path, awesome, go do you. Um, but I think, I think it's really, I don't think it's helpful to the things that we love to try and make them our sources of income when we start that, uh, when we're thinking about it that way from the start. And then it stops becoming like, stops becoming what we love. There's some meme that I think is really funny, which is like, it plays on the like, do what you love and you won't work a day in your life meme. And it's like, do what you love. And then you'll spend every day like working forever on the thing that you love and wait, you just turned your favorite hobby into a job. What are you thinking? I think it's sometimes, sometimes really accurate. And I, and maybe this is just me, but it's very, it's very hard for me to not let like the, Ooh, where's the market? Am I being successful at this? stuff creep in, which is not what the art is about and is not what makes the best or most creative or most helpful or most healing content or art or stories or work is like very rarely that thought. It's helpful to think like to, to sort of understand the landscape, but I feel like that's not where the good stuff comes from. And it's so easy to let it take over my mind. And I think others too. Yeah. I think thinking about this podcast as well, you know, I recorded seven episodes before I launched it and it was like, it was the great, it was the greatest joy to record those first seven episodes every time I would leave floating, you know, like, oh, this is the best. And I still leave, you know, conversations like this feeling extremely excited about the people that I get to connect with. Um, However, you know, once it went live, there was still like, oh, I'm checking downloads, you know, i I'm questioning if I'm posting, you know, the right snippets, if I'm, you know, making this palatable. Uh, and so I, I hear so you. So actually, can we, di- have you dive into that in previous episodes? Uh, no, not, not really. Because that may be one area I can add value in just like breaking down moments like that. So I'm like, okay, you release a podcast. Yeah. Then what do you do? Like, do you just like put it up and then do you sit there hitting refresh? Do you like? No, no, I've, I'm actually the for, for the first 10, I've been good. Um, I haven't checked the analytics more than, you know, three times since I launched the podcast. But I Total. definitely okay. I think that's probably but, rare. But I definitely look at the I do posts on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So most of the audience, I think, drives through the Instagram platform. 
and I do a snippet. Oftentimes I'll record video. We're not recording right now because I think it's great to, you know, to see us having a conversation. Um, but I'll do a snippet with a video that's kind of like up to one minute long, subtitle it, put the logo up in the corner and I'll watch how those videos perform for sure. Gotcha. And um, I'll be constantly checking. But so that's, and you're constantly checking that. I do check. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Take me through it. What's I'm constantly? Human. I mean, it goes up and I think as a creator in, on that platform, you start to, to understand um, how a post will perform over time based on how it performs within literally the first like minute right. of having posted it. Right. And so, so you're checking I, I, the acceleration speed of yeah. likes at that time. Yeah. And yeah. it's, and it's ironic, right? Because here I am doing this podcast, um, mm-hmm. much of the content about the attention economy and the, and the challenges of, you know, our own bad habits around technology. But I'm the first to admit that the reason I started this in the first place was reflecting upon my own, you know, um, personal bad habits, which I still, I still have. And as a creator, same way. Totally not yeah. claiming to have. I was going to ask if, if as a creator, you know, you're you're constantly, you know, checking and and because it's live. In some ways, it's live feedback, or it feels that way, even though it's partially driven by the algorithm, or yeah. if not entirely driven by. The I algorithm. recommend that if people can of like post and then don't check like how many people are liking or commenting and like put it down. I absolutely still get caught up in in that. I feel very addicted to the approval, to the love me. Is this like, what? I thought this was so clever. I thought this was yeah. so good. Are people not liking this? Why? What's the rate? Oh, am I not getting like double the amount of likes as I have number of minutes of like in the followers? That's usually my ratio. What's going on oh, here? I like that. Um, and I'm now, I have, now I have a new metric to, <laughs> to metric. think about. That's me. It will be different for your own, for your own thing. Um, but I absolutely get, get sucked in get sucked into that process. I really like screen time, um, which is a setting in Apple. Um, Digital wellness is the equivalent version in Android where you can go in and set limits for yourself on social networks um, Mm. and or messaging apps or games, whatever you want to, we want to put it on. I have an hour limit on social media a day that I try to stick to. I find there are some days where I break it and then I feel in sort of like a self-loathing thing well, it's like well now I've broken it and so I don't care how long I spent on it and I'm just full it's on it's kind of it. like after that fifth Netflix episode and in, in binge watching when you're just like totally. screw it I'm like doing now, the whole season yeah, now this is now I'm in um, but I yes similarly I got interested in this because I feel I need the help um, mm. and I've improved I would say in my relationship with it honestly one of the things is that just because I'm one of the guys who's like the, oh, Panda is dancing. You're working with the Center for Humane Technology. If people yeah. see me with my phone out in a conversation, it's like, hey, you're the, f- you're the you're phone the guy. guy. Like, come yeah. on. Like, so just for my own, like trying not to be a hypocrite, that's been one of the most helpful motivators for yeah. me to keep it away of in that moment, be like, don't pull out your phone. Come on, you're working so hard on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but most people don't have that extra incentive, which has been one of the most motivating for me. Isn't that interesting how it requires almost another form of external validation, which is not wanting to look like a hypocrite to kind of motivate us to, to, you know, to build the healthy habits around, around this technology. Totally. It's of not wanting to look like a hypocrite and not wanting to be a hypocrite. hypocrite. (laughs) It's both the internal validation and the external validation. I had something, I had something similar as well. I mean, not just with the phones, but also, you know, speaking about fire and, um, speaking at these tech conferences about trusting your intuition and not being afraid of failure and, um, and how kind of that led me and motivated me towards 
working on something like fire in the first place, you know, wanting that validation of working on a big project that had a lot of hype around it. Um, and then having failed dramatically and that being in the public realizing like, it's actually not that bad so long as you operate with integrity. But I was still in, as I was doing this, I was still in a job surrounded by, you know, people that I didn't necessarily align with um, and wasn't in that. And so I actually quit my job after a few months of that dissonance because of that feeling of being a hypocrite. Um, I talked about this on a previous episode with, I think you're also friends with Jesse Israel, um, about that imposter syndrome that can come, you know, it often comes with artists, mindfulness practitioners, when you're, you know, you're the meditation guy and you're freaking out, it almost feels, you know, it feels like you don't have permission, but at the same time, I think we have to be comfortable with the fact that we're human and <laughs> which is and it's, it's hard to do that in the social environments especially and i think in some ways the world is becoming more of a reflection of the social environment right i'm much less concerned about literally what's happening in instagram as i am in a generation of people our friends included but people like to talk about this as just the kids who are doing this that's crap it's not true adults um but literally living for living for the post of like literally making decisions in our lives, either consciously or unconsciously, because this type of thing is going to get me a lot of that social validation and likes and, ooh, I I can share about this. If I go to this thing, I can share about it. Um, And so, like, it's just very hard to, like, the room that Instagram, Facebook, that all of these are, if we were to visualize what the room literally looks like, it would be what's happening. You're standing on a stage in front of, 100, 200, 1,000, many thousand people. Like, you have a general idea kind of who's in the audience, but you don't really know them. You're blindfolded because you can't see exactly who you're talking to. And you're making an announcement. And every once in a while, you get, like, a tap on the shoulder of, like, that was cool. That was cool. Or maybe for the things on the most extreme, you get a comment being like, yes, that was awesome. Oh, my God, thank you. Or you are such a monster. How could you have possibly said this? <laughs> da, 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 da. Like, that's the entire interaction. So, like, what kind of – is that a place where we're going to get up and be like, hey, like, I'm on the stage. Like, this is kind of who I am. Hi. How's everybody doing? This is me. Or is that a place where we're going to – perform and try to craft and create a very specific way of being that's going to be liked or going to be approved of. I found one trend is like, even with vulnerability, which right now is trendy on Instagram, it's trendy to be vulnerable. So so it went from being like... It's incredible how these, (laughs) how certain things can be manipulated and, and I don't know, Frankenstein, for lack of a better word. And I think they immediately will be. I think they'll be immediately Frankenstein. Is that as soon as you have the break of everybody's just bragging, well, okay, now being vulnerable on Instagram is a nice break from the bragging. So that's a popular thing. Ooh, vulnerability is popular. Let me be vulnerable. I can be even more vulnerable than that person. I can be vulnerable and then be aware that vulnerability is popular and commenting on that. So it's just this these layered competitions for approval and attention start to happen. And anytime, anytime some new concept or thing gets popular, 
the nature of this beast by the way it's designed because we're so, we care so much how many people like it or how many people see it or like whether we're getting the approval. We shift the stories that we tell and the things that we do based on what is working at the time in these algorithms. And you could say, well, like that's just culture. That's what culture has been for a long time, but there's something inherently different about these digital environments than the way we engage in a room. There's so much that is lost in communication um, and asynchronicity of like us being here, watching your face move to, you know, facial expression, body language, all of these different communication tools um, versus me standing in another room shouting something, you'll hear it later, (laughs) um, and then having your reaction. I honestly like one of the biggest ones for me in social media is the eye roll. Is like, what percentage of posts do you see? And you're just kind of like, just sort of Not roll your enough. eyes at. And like, yeah. but we don't receive that feedback on the other side. So you have like, what, like, we don't actually see how people are reacting. How many, like, yeah. How many, how many interactions in your physical world do people say something to you and you go like, wow, or like, yes. Yeah, like strong arm. Strong arm. <laughs> well, I do prayer, prayer hands a lot in person. Like, amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, like how many sentences or expressions create that? Could you imagine if that was feedback. every conversation? That would probably be a, a good podcast exercise. of literally just emojis back and forth, <laughs> just in person emojis. That would probably be a good exercise of like to go a day, like where out in the world you react to things like it's social media. I don't know exactly how it would look, and I'm thinking of this on the fly. I think it'd, it'd be, be fun. interesting. <laughs> it'd be fun at least, you know, or it'd be unfun depending on which side of social. If you're talking about Twitter, it'd be really angry. If you're talking about Instagram, it'd probably just be a lot of the yes and <laughs> Yeah, and so cute. Praise, praise be. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's really interesting, you know, talking about vulnerability, vulnerability theater. And thinking about, I keep, I keep on, um, this topic keeps coming up because the ice bath is, is just, it's so prevalent all of a sudden, you know, this is the latest, the latest. I am um, not aware of this. I thought you were talking about the ice bucket challenge. Well, the ice bucket challenge, the ice bath is the new ice bucket challenge. I think it's, it's, uh, Wim Hof you know, yep. popularized a few years ago on that Vice documentary, The Iceman, teaching people how to hang out in ice cold water. You know, beautiful practice, right? Get over your your fear, learn to fight your immediate your immediate reaction to an uncomfortable situation, settle your mind, go inwards. Okay. Now it's become how long can I stay in the ice bucket? or the ice bath on Instagram, how calm can I look? You know, it's, it's a part of a fitness regiment. So it's picked up by the fitness influencer community, which is its own community that I'm learning about, which is really interesting. And it's not to throw the ice bath out with the water, whatever the, the phrase is, but I, thank you. Because the fitness, a lot of the fitness, you know, Instagram community, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting content on there to learn how to take care of yourself. So anyways, but that's the point. Just watching these kind of like memes um, pick up online. And it's it's very hard to, because there is, with all of this, of course, there's so much good that gets done of like so many positive messages that get spread. When I'm talking with some colleagues on this, I actually would like for us to use as a benchmark, like 
how much money is raised on GoFundMe type things for medical, um, like medical causes that people would have otherwise not been able to have life-saving care. Like anything that we're doing that might diminish spread of messages like that is worth like really weighing the opportunity cost against it. It's just very hard because something good like, oh, wow, ice like ice bath, here are the health benefits, X, Y, Z. I don't really know what they are, but people yeah. seem to really like the Wim Hof stuff. Um, but you put it through this, you put it through this filter of social media and immediately it highlights certain angles of that. And that's true of everything. The angles of vulnerability that are most, you know, most visually appealing, most like, um, most popular, um, and it's just it's it becomes this competition in the elements that seem to work on these on these algorithms. And it's just like, you know, we've all done it. We've all posted something and it hasn't been that popular. And we care. Like why why? We care I don't know it, why we care so it much. It like it hurts. It actually hurts. The non likes yeah. hurt. And so in that way, like we're just it's it changes and shapes the stories that we choose to tell, which is more and more how we're viewing each other. Um and yeah, I, I joked that like, I was following some friend, like I noticed that as I'd watch my, some of my friends' Instagram stories, I'd be like, I just watch these and then I'm like, I don't like my friends. And like, I do, <laughs> like I love my friends, but like, I love them when I'm with them. Yeah. Um, and then like, like the I'm just, avatar. the avatar of my friends just like, will give me these reactions. And so I like mm. had to stop watching like a bunch of my friends' social media stuff. And I don't mean that as like a negative reflection on them. It's just, I think so easy to dive into this this game where it's this big this big miscommunication machine. So you're you've been to Burning Man a number of times, right? Yeah. And you you were part of a community here in New York that often goes to Burning Man. Yeah. What do you think of the Burning Man social media post Burning Man social media kind of phenomenon? I think it's a good, yeah, it's a good use case for this. And I also now want to acknowledge, because I'm speaking into the internet, too, that, yeah, we're talking about Burning Man. We're talking about the bougiest 1% in all of this that you even get to go at all. And wow, what an incredible privilege to have that experience and all super true. And by the way, this is the beauty of, of this type of content, because we can get a little more nuanced about these things, which is why I think I appreciate I appreciate a podcast format. Yeah, it um, can go in more depth. Yeah, um, which I, I I thank you for calling that out because I think that yeah, it is it is a privilege to be able to go there for sure. Um, I mean, yeah, it's both time and and money privilege. Um, but so you everybody gets back, and then it's like, and then you see all the all the posts flood in, right? And it's. This, these were my lessons. These were my takeaways. This is the, like, I was so transformed. I was so moved. It was so incredible. Um, or I had, the, it was a really, you know what? Here's what really happened. It was a challenging one. And here were the challenges I faced. And you know what? And I'm being brave. And I'm talking about how this was real. And there were challenges that I faced. Um, vulnerability. And right. And for, like, for either of it, like, whatever. Like, share yeah. what you want to share. Do your own thing. I'm really not trying to judge anybody in this. Respect. Um, but it's just, there does seem to be this feeling of pressure that we have internally, many of us, mm. to like, oh, I have to, I need to share my experience. And once I'm sharing my experience, well, I want to make it good and meaningful of like, and this is one of my challenges with the social media culture is that learning takes time. 
Like mm. lessons take time and like every day is not necessarily a transformational experience or magic, you know, magic that happened. And it can be a beautiful lens to look at the world through that like, wow, what if it was? What if every day there was this like, there's just incredibly transformational moments and it is a miracle that we get to be sitting here at all. And there is so much magic. Um, but there's something about this constant pressure to have an experience that's going to be transformational mm. that takes away from the experience itself. And I did find that for myself at Burning Man this year. Um, I, and uh, it was, and actually I'm sitting here with my friend, Derek Hake, who is- Derek, yeah, please uh, join in. Hi. This is the first was, time having two people <laughs> in addition to me on the Look Up podcast. I'm really excited. And Derek <laughs> is someone I looked up to and admire in the way he sees the world and speaks. So I'm very curious to whatever this has sparked. Yes. Well, I, I'm just glad to be in the room, really, because I'm Max's barber mm. and also um, an interfaith minister and have studied the world's traditions. And you can't be on a cell phone or a computer and cut somebody's hair. And I'm on zero social media in my vector of influence. I've had so many people that are barbers and colleagues that will um, Photoshop their work mm. to give them the best possible uh, portfolio of work that, that they can then put on social media. And that's their platform for people to come and see them. And uh, it's their uh, way of, of marketing themselves. And um, it just seems to me as a barber, since you can't be on a cell phone or a computer and be a barber, which is where I met Max and where we started to have conversations that are very much like the one that I've been listening to you have. It's such a beautiful conversation. Is that I'm very aware that we seem to be in this day and age more interested in blogger accreditation than actually the content of whatever is is being put over, meaning that it's the like and the validation that is more important than the joy at the leap of this technological advancement to just be able to take and touch more people with the free exchange of information, actually wanting nothing in return but just for the love of sharing something that heretofore would not be able to touch as many people with the accelerated velocity that it can today with this beautiful means of communication. We have so many ways to communicate today, yet we are so starved for connection hmm. that that has become the great anathema. To me, that we, we have so many ways to express and yet when it comes to the natural animal instincts that keep us alive, proven from day one, a baby wants to be held close to the face and close to the heart. People want to be seen in real time. They want to be heard in real time. They want to be validated in real time and loved unconditionally. And somehow what we've posted as an idea, an avatar of what we would like the world to think that we look like we've started to believe that the like or dislike of that avatar is in fact the absolute authentic truth of who we are. And we have forgotten that this technological advancement is a vehicle with which to 
lovingly give away and receive the free exchange of information, but the minute we let it be our God, our barometer and benchmark as to our own self-worth, hmm. then we become more interested in blogger accreditation or validation through something that's very unstable. And some people become very courageous when they can type behind a nameless face and can have an opinion. Mm. And sometimes an egoic identity will give an opinion that they themselves don't really even believe. They just want to stir the pot. Oh, just yeah, because they just want some form of exactly what I said we all crave, the natural animal instincts that keep us alive, a sense of being seen, a sense of being valid. And even if it's negative attention, at least it's attention. Um, so there's so much in there of that I yeah that I love, and one one point that I want to harp on too is like yeah like the ability to share with so many people, and like how beautiful if we could figure out how to use that and like share without expectation of like wow I have a tool in my pocket that can put a message or a something in front of so many more people than I ever could before because of this thing. Like, how do I utilize that and share and share it off? But there is something about, as the feedback comes in, the instant gratification that we require, the love and belonging that we're searching for. And this is what the internet and technology does that bothers me is we've quantified that to a like mm. or to a single reaction or to a view. And then once it's quantified, we then think, oh, okay, that, that's the number of that feeling of validation or I'm loved or I'm enough or, I'm, or I belong. That many. How, well, the last thing got, got 50 of those and then this one only got, only got 40 of them. So I guess from that last peak, I'm not, I'm not loved here and I'm not validated and I'm, I'm craving from that last thing. And we do, we, it seems like as humans, we're very, very caught up in that game. And what would it look like? What would it look like to truly just be sharing without expectation? Well, I was, um, this reminds me of kind of the experimentation that Instagram's doing of hiding likes. Yeah. What do you think about that? Do you think that that will solve some of these problems of seeking kind of instant validation and gratification from our posts? Or? I think it'll change it. Um, mm. It'll be, we'll see, right? It'll, it'll be interesting to see how that shifts the landscape. Um, I think it's a step in the right direction. It does change the nature of it, not being at least about that public, because we so often look at Twitter on this even more so. Oh, this has a hundred retweets. People believe this. This is popular. Um, and then the validity of a an opinion or a voice is about how many times someone clicked a button, which can mean a lot of things. Somebody wanted more people to see this. This was the most extreme or outrageous point of view, um, as opposed to more complicated metrics of how we value things like this was really interesting to me. Wow, this made me think. This made me get off the social networks. Like, what might be, what might actually be metrics that we'd be interested in judging or validating a piece of content on? Um, also, content is not a a human need. Um, yeah. What springs the light in light of yeah, Max? What you just said is that it doesn't matter where you are spiritually, but I feel like in talking to you that we are talking about something that no matter who you pray to or where you pray from, we're talking about something that is ethical and moral on some level. And we 
have proven as humans what the Tao Te Ching, um, one sacred text, and the Bible, at least from reading it with my own eyes, has pointed to. In quantum theory and math, it can be postulated on a chalkboard that whatever you are seeking, it is seeking you. That you become a vibrational match for whatever you want to bring into your field of awareness. Jesus said, as you believe, so shall it be done unto you. The Tao Te Ching uh, in China, written by Lao Tzu, which means the man of the mountain. So some man in a mountain in China somewhere said, as within, so without. Or the law of mental equivalence, like a Stephen Hawking mathematical algorithm says, the ideas you hold in your mind about who you are and what you want to experience from the world based on the sponsoring thoughts you tell yourself about who you are to the world of your understanding are the very circumstances that you bring into your field of awareness with mathematical exactitude. And of course, these luminaries that didn't have that math back then could concretize that into one sentence. As you believe, so shall be done unto you. <laughs> we have to have the math for the agnostics and all of the proofs on the chalkboard to say, hey, if you want to know what you want from life, take a look at what you already have because that's what your vibrational match for. If we could come at life and say, more than could ever be wanted is already who I am, then the free exchange of information and the discriminatory what's interesting and uninteresting could have its play on this network and without validation, lest someone I don't know if you're interested in baking and someone releases the best chocolate chip cookie recipe that you've ever tried and you know you want to say hey thank you so much i'll never look back you know but this idea that we do have a youthful culture that doesn't remember a telephone that was attached to a wall that when your parents needed to call the neighbor you had to get in line when you were 14 years old in order to call your friend <laughs> mm -hmm. and it is true that there are as many adults today that are addicted to these weapons of mass distraction mm. as our youth um, but there are still young people that really have an amplified egoic identity because so many people and so much validation in an accelerated way, time accelerated way, mm. is so available to them without having a ground of being in a knowledge base of, of um, inquiry into what is fundamentally true about being a spiritual being in a human experience, which may simply just mean um, if we would seek first the kingdom of heaven and let everything else be added unto us instead of no the kingdom of heaven is in the Lamborghini or the girl or the 500 lights mm. um, just a little bit more time of sit still do nothing I have all the likes that I need and all the love is, is who I am and is here absolutely that was the uh, the beginning of my exploration for all of this um, started in 2017, um, self-reflecting on um, my time on the Exumas before Fire Festival. And I don't ever, this is the first episode I think I've really talked about Fire, which is interesting. Um, and I looked back at my time there and I was reflecting on how Fire presented this avatar of an experience that they hadn't really created. And, but the problem with events, if you want to fake it, you have to make it. 
So it's not fake until you make it. You actually have to create that which you present because people will experience it. And so people got there and realized not only was this not what I was promised, but it's actually an absolute disaster. And so, you know, I was reflecting on before kind of knowing some of the the truly, you know, fraudulent things that happened um, at the higher level. Uh, I was reflecting on, well, is this something that we all already do? And, uh, you know, what and I was looking at the post that I made while I was there. And it was like view from the office today could, could have been better. And it was like a picture of the beautiful blue waters of Exumas and the beach. And meanwhile, I was spending 18 hour days in front of a computer trying to match our 1200 non-paying guests with whatever number of beds that we had available to them, which was 500, you know, after two weeks working on it and barely enough by the time they came. And yet I had the time and energy And at the time, you know, I wasn't even doing this for, you know, for, it was for friends too, which is so interesting to really think about. It was for people that I had met in person because this was before I was connected to people digitally that I hadn't met in person, which is accelerating. And so why, you know, why did I need that? Why did I need to post that? Why did I need to- Why did you need to post that? why Why do we need to post anything? I think it's a helpful question. And the why did I post this? Looking through your own Instagram feeds Mm -hmm. and going back and thinking like, why did I post that? And as you're scrolling, like looking at different feeds and be like, why did that person really post that? I think is a really helpful exercise. Um, And it is, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think about Derek, what you were saying, I think the reason why I bring this up is because when I think about Lao Tzu and as within, so without, and what we use as a tool to measure quote unquote success on, on these social platforms, the validation through the number of likes or views or whatever. Yes. Um, you know, if we think about the why, the intention behind what we're, what we're presenting online, that's the within. So why am I doing this? Like if we create an intention before posting, I'm doing this because X, Y, Z, and this is, this is helping that not what, I think we often think about, or I have often thought about the what I'm posting. So am I posting something that is going to, you know, get validation? Am I posting something that I think is going to resonate with people that see it? Um, And we got to get brutally honest with ourselves there too, because it's very easy mm -hmm. in the social media game to like, to be like, well, I'm posting this because this is inspiring and I'm trying to inspire people when it's like, Okay, cool. Maybe, maybe it will inspire people. Is that really what's going on on the inside there? Like, is that where this came from? Did this come from a desire to inspire? Or did this come from, oh, things are kind of rough right now. I've been working a lot. Like, I'm confused and I'm stressed. Maybe if I post something, it'll feel good to get the stuff back. Um, and actually, Amber Ray talks, does this really, be, I really love the way she's using social media. I've been very impressed with her. Um, and she talks about, like, where's the, where's the urge to share coming from? Is it like, wow, this is something incredible and I need to share this. What a great reason to share something versus like, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm seeking, I'm searching for searching for something from the outside. Also sometimes great social media can be a tool for that, but like, can we get a line to, I've had like a really hard time. Like my ex just passed away and my, sorry, I said, I meant to say X like a variable and X just passed, yeah. like X yeah, just like passed X away. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no one, no one that did not happen in my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, 
and like I really could use some support like just wanted to let the world know here like I'm not really feeling comfortable to reach out specifically if there is something that you want to like share with me do with me please like social media can be an incredible tool for that what a way to broadcast and then like wow this is so stressful get it off my mind I need help and I'm out here actively searching or like recommendations things of that nature it's the middle ground that I feel like messes us messes us up both internally as posters and as as watchers. I think about this often. I think about, um, you know, because my original response was we need more honesty on social media. We need more realness on social media. And of course, what you've already brought up is that that realness, that honesty turns into its own form of theater, yeah. which is like truth theater or yeah, woke theater, theater or vulnerability theater. theater. Yeah, I like that. Right. And, and it turns into its own monster because of yeah. the, this. these tools are created in that way that they become... Um, again, Frankenstein. But I think about like if Instagram existed, you know, 10 years ago, but let's say you couldn't share it. So let's say it was just, it's just, you know, whatever. It did exist. It was like Flickr or something before where you just took photos and you put them on your computer with your Canon camera and they were just yours, but you weren't sharing them with people. So I was like, okay, what would that Instagram feed look like? And you know, I went, I moved away from the honesty factor because I realized that when I, when I think back to like family videos versus family memories, the family videos are all like playing by the pool, hanging out on vacation. Everybody's having fun. We're all together. It's a special occasion. There's no family videos of like Mark storming away from the dinner table and going to cry in his room because his dad made a snarky <laughs> right. comment. Still, still it's a memory that we're choosing of that moment. Yeah. So For my sure. question is like, so then the question is, you know, if I wouldn't share those, if I wouldn't capture those memories strictly for myself to, to kind of look back on, um, then how can we expect when there's the addition of social context, people to be presenting, you know, everything or should we expect or the whole picture, the, the real story online. And we never can, right? Like this is the challenge with communication also is that like literally anything I put into the, the box of social media little is not box. going, a very little box is not going to be an accurate reflection of even the aspect of my life that I'm sharing about. Like it will be somewhat removed from that. And let alone the whole picture of my life. Are you kidding? You can kind of get a sense of that, like sitting with someone looking into someone's eyes. Like if they're if they're being like, oh, yeah, like this is what's going on for me. Work, I'm crushing it. You can maybe like feel or see a sadness and maybe you can get some of that stuff in a little bit in right. But just we get very little context of people in these boxes. Ridiculous to think that we're going to have the whole truth. But it's imitating and it's close, like... And this is where, well, this has been happening forever, but social media is now close enough and frequent enough that we're sharing that it makes it seem as though it might be real. It's like we've gotten close enough that it's, it looks, it looks Mm. more like reality than it has in the past. I want to, I want to, I want to go deeper on that. Um, I think, um, you know, I, I moved on to, from honesty to awareness and I think it's just super important that we continue to remind each other that what you see on social media is not what you get, that that is just the avatar as we described. But I wanted to, I wanted to, what you just, what you just touched on, I think kind of leads us to your work with the Center for Humane Technology. Um, you know, what, what proposals are you guys putting forwards or, or 
you know, you you lead education there. I, I think your official title is head of education. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong. And and so, who are you educating? What what are you educating them about? Is it this? Is it is it this? It's it's just a little box. It's it's not who we are. Is it? You you mentioned um, a great point that comes up a lot on this show, which is well, people have been saying this about technology and media for centuries. And this time is no different. So you're just being alarmist. So I'd love for you to kind of just dive into your work there. Absolutely. Um, so my work with the Center for Humane Technology is, so before doing poetry, I was um, doing social media for big brands, fell in love with startup world, started, uh, tried to start out the Instagram for videos before Instagram had video. Mm. Um, it was called Ocho. Um, we were gonna, it was gonna be a video platform. And was that like after the Ocho, like um, it was just eight second, Anchorman? eight second videos? Okay. It was sort of like around the time of Vine and like that sort of that sort of space. Mm. But we got that a lot, the ESPN, the Ocho thing. Yeah, the ESPN, the Ocho. Um, I don't even know if that was Anchorman. I'm but probably. we, I think uh, something like a dodgeball. I think. Yeah, dodgeball, the Ocho. Uh, but we were we were told um, we were told by investors as we were raising money that if we could hold your attention for two minutes or longer, then we had a valuable company. So a lot of my decisions on the product were being like, hey, what's going to work at grabbing and holding your attention longer? How many notifications should we send you a day? Oh, if we put these likes and the name of this friend in front of that friend, is that more effective? If we autoplay videos inside of our experience, will people spend a little bit longer on the app? And in doing stuff like that, I started to recognize, hey, there's like, there's a difference between my goals and the goals of the people who are using this. Nobody wakes up in the morning and it's like, how much time can I spend on this product today? <laughs> um, but that is what we're trying to do. And there's, just, you know, there was at the time, much less so now, but a philosophy of, well, I'm not making anyone do anything they don't want to do. Like if you're using this, it's because you like using it. But I became more aware in doing that work of that there's some things that just work at like grabbing and holding human attention when you have it in this incredibly engaging environment. And so I met Tristan Harris at that time, mm -hmm. who's the um, who's the leader of this movement. Um, he was Google's former design ethicist uh, and now decided that outside of Google, he could try to make more change in this industry. And the Center for Humane Technology is about like what they're calling reversing human downgrading. As we upgrade technology, we are downgrading humanity mm -hmm. and human beings. Their thesis is human beings are fundamentally vulnerable in certain ways. And how can we design technology that protects these vulnerabilities and enhances the parts of humanity that we love and make it so beautiful to be human and to be alive? Um, and how can we protect from the, the parts that are manipulatable into areas that we wouldn't want to go towards? Um, my role, uh, and to be honest, like I'm one day a week at the Center for Human Technology. It's very part time, but I am. I speak at a lot of high schools, um, mm. middle schools, to parents, teachers, educators about education in the age of distraction. And when I speak to kids um, or to students, I really see my role as inspiring rebellion. Um, they've been, you know, parents are being like, "You're using your phone too much," and I'm coming in there and saying, "Like, hey, technology can be amazing." I just want to let you know that some of this stuff isn't really designed for you and you are not the customer, but you are the product. And here are some specific ways that that is true mm -hmm. and kind of helping them realize that with things like Snapchat streaks or like Instagram, just some of the ways that they might be getting sucked into this in ways they don't, they're not trying to be. And so allowing them the sort of free, uh, the free agency to, to think about, okay, well, I guess, yeah, why don't I try for one week? just deleting social media from my phone with my friends. Because if they do it alone, it just sucks that everybody's on it but yeah. them. Um, and then see how that feels. And then a lot, like, I get 
a bunch of messages from parents being like, I don't know what you said. My kids are deleting social media for the weekend. Like, and they're not sure if they want to put it back on their phones. So like, thank you for that. Um, and you know, some kids are like, shut up, dude, who's trying to tell me to stop using my phone. There's both of it. Um, but so my, my work is really about is sharing that information and more recently trying to find the things that work at, you know, helping with some of the gaming addiction, social media addiction, some of the mental health stuff, some of the bullying, uh, like trying to find, like what are the interventions that are working, not just at helping us use our phones less, but the problems that are being created by or exacerbated by this technology. Mm. And I'm at the very beginning of that. Uh, yeah. So you just, you just made a great distinction there that are being created by versus exacerbated by. So I guess what I want to ask is, you know, is this predominantly a technology problem or is this a human problem? And I'm going to make this multiple choice. Another, <laughs> another problem or is it structural kind of societal issue or I, all of the above? I mean, I see it as e. mainly, I mean, mainly human <laughs> and societally, but like, I just feel like social media and technology has poured gas just on all of these things that already existed. It's not necessarily creating a totally new thing. Um, but as Derek was mentioning, it's like, this has really highlighted how much not social media has poured gas on our not enoughness, right? It's like, if you were to design a product to like, that would make people feel like, not enough and in there like you probably would create something that looked a little bit like Instagram. Like Instagram um yeah. and so like it's I think this is just poured gas on a lot of the problems. And you talk about why is it different this time and there are a couple of reasons. And so you know when you had your television at home, uh one, we didn't carry our television at home around with us twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, looking at it hundred and fifty times like a day with that many pickups. Two is that we didn't have to walk inside of our television to talk to our friends or to do our work. And very often we have to literally go inside of these digital formats to communicate with one another or to do our work. And uh, three is uh, we have go inside of it. We have it data carry it around data collection. That's 24 hours a day, seven uh 24 hours a day, seven hours a week. Yeah, it's collecting data on us. Like how and there are a thousand engineers on the other side of the phone, but not on the television, who are updating it every day based on your own clicks and patterns and a thousand people or a million people like use clicks and patterns to try to make it more personally engaging for you. And like, yeah, is this a technology problem? Like, you know, it is highlighting all these things that have existed forever. But like, I love ice cream. Like if I carried around ice cream 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If I had to go inside of ice cream to talk to my friends and to do my work, and if that ice cream were collecting <laughs> data on me to be more personally tunnel. delicious based on my habits and timing, I'd probably have an ice cream problem. <laughs> um, and so I think it's it's not just like... <laughs> it's, You'd be rolling you, it's, it's rolling like, you down the street. Grocery, isn't it, though? But like this whole mm. problem is, you know, I, I or challenge or inquiry and questioning. It's, it's a problem until it's not, and in some ways it's a gift. You know, we, you know, FaceTime and Skype have completely obliterated the long-distance phone call. Totally. Why you would ever want to pay, you know, however many dollars a minute to talk to somebody in Sri Lanka and not see them in real time if they have Wi-Fi and I have Wi-Fi, then, you know, so we, we'd say it's a great thing. But I, I chalk this, this series of questions and inquiry that you've posted to Max. As kind of like being in the grocery store, because if I go to a really good grocery store, um, like Whole Foods, for example, and 
there's just a breadth of selections based on my own appetite, which we also know is variable. If someone's trying to lose weight, they'll go to a different aisle than what they've gone to before. If it's doctor mandated or nutritionist mandated, they may have to eat more kale and stay out of the chip aisle. But the truth is, is that some people, if they've been in the chip and snack aisle their whole life, and if you're in your youth, when your metabolism and everything is running and your your, your hormones and your, your estrogen and your testosterone levels are running at an indestructibly seemingly, you know, great capacity, then, then you can, you know, hangovers are not the same when you're 40 as when you're 22. You know what I mean? And so we won't be able to pedal backward and, di and discriminate what people post and don't post on social media. But what we can say is that the more that we technologically place upon the world, the more it asks us to be responsible with how we engage with that thing. So uh, the grocery store was, is there. What we choose to pick up and put in the basket is totally our free will and free, mm. free choosing. And as a barber who has no social media at all, I'll just say that I haven't missed it. It's very interesting when somebody like, you know, shows me something, says, hey, what do you think this way? And it's very interesting to engage with it. And to be, but I love, Max, what you're encouraging our youth to do, which is don't do it because it's the high and holy thing. Don't do it because one thing is good and one thing is bad, but just say, just go through the door that's never been gone through before. You who have never experienced a telephone that's been on the wall. You know, just, just for a moment, put that thing down. Notice what you notice when you go through the detox and withdrawal of this thing you've been beholden to. Notice what it does to your body, your mind. And who are you that will witness all of the feelings and all the compulsions and thoughts that come calling in the absence of this thing? And do you want to have power over those thoughts and feelings? Or are you gonna let thoughts and feelings and conditioning mm. be your master? Do those things report to you or do you report to them? And that for kids, I think it's a really hard one too, because it's I'm learning how to notice in myself better every day. And oh, yeah. it's certainly far from a mastered or done deal. And also, that's one of my big concerns for all of us is that like, it's never been easier. And this is the, it's hard to express how much everything changes when it's 24 seven and right in my pocket and like right at a hand's reach. Because the moment things get a little bit awkward, the moment I'm a little bit anxious or a little bit uncomfortable, the moment things are a little bit hard, it's almost like, it's almost unconscious that I can just be like, oh, well, okay, let me just run away to the different universe of my phone. Or let me see, there are all these other things. I'll just focus there. Um, and that it's, you know, it's just never been easier to run away from what ourselves. What about during the creative process? I mean, when you're, when you're writing or when I'm writing, you know, it's like, pff, I can pick up my phone three times before two pages are done. It's, it's, we absolutely can. And it's very hard. Like one thing I recommend is literally put it in another room is what I tell the kids. It's like one of the, 
the most helpful things you can do is just literally get it out of there so that you don't reach for it. That's one of the things that really scares me the most about all of this is I've had that be the the recommendation on multiple episodes of this podcast with social psychologists like Mm -hmm. Adam Alter and, and other people. And, you know, and Nir Eyal came on and he talks about how this is a, you know, someone that wrote a book called hooked about creating, you know, essentially addictive products, but without using the word addictive and now wrote a book called indistractable about how you can, counteract it and saying it's not the technology's fault it's our fault we're building bad habits we need to take responsibility and i agree with that but if the answer is take the phone off of you and the half-life of technology becoming integrated into the human is accelerating and we're now at the point where we literally walk around with technology inside of us through airpods which are in our ears you know 10 years from now it will be contact lenses. It will be I mean, a chip in our before arm. Before we get there. So, I mean, Nir came over for dinner the other day and we had like a nice long like debate with, uh, with oh, yeah. myself. And I wish that he and Tobi- I had debated a little, a little harder <laughs> and, on. <laughs> and Tobias Rose Stockwell, who thinks about this stuff a lot too. And Nir is brilliant at articulating this stuff. And I think he has a lot of really helpful tools. Where I, where I disagree with Nir, and I would go as far as to say where I think Nir is wrong, is, like, <laughs> is that I think the number... Like you literally pick an area of our lives, whether it's dating, whether it's work, whether it's communication, whether it's like transportation, everything, like everything has been absolutely hit and transformed by this. Like, and all at once, just like immediately, everything different and everything changing in these, often these very subtle, hard to articulate ways for what exactly got lost here or why is this different? And I don't think it's reasonable to ask an individual to like manage all the different ways everything has already changed and just be like, look, this is innovation, adapt, go. It's like everything is, everything is different now. And it's, and by the time I've even like, and I'm good with words and good at articulating this stuff. And by the time that I've even been able to be like, well, I think it's, this is what's changed or what's lost. We're onto a new, like a new innovation, a new thing. Like the speed here is really unparalleled. And that's where I personally think more responsibility like out of desperation, not that it should be their responsibility, but needs to lie with the Apples and Googles and the tech companies of the world to help us protect and guard our attention and the things that we care about. Because it's going to be so hard if this all falls on personal responsibility to deal with all of the new ways that our entire lives are changing. So is it a top-down responsibility for regulators to step in? Is it a corporate governance responsibility for board members to say this is inappropriate or are we kind of at a sometimes I wonder if we're at a a structural standstill because because our capitalist system doesn't allow for um, them to create models that improve the human condition because for whatever reason it seems like in this social media sphere specifically the tools and the the revenue generating activities are also the ones that seem contrary to improving humanity. Um, and yet, I don't. I'm not a socialist, right? And and I lean libertarian. And I heard you guys talking about libertarianism earlier. I lean, or maybe not. Maybe that was on. Um, that was that was, that was with Andrew. Probably, yeah, yeah. Mixing, mixing. Sorry, Dad's, mixing. I lean Dad's libertarian, a libertarian but, and I think Nier probably is too. Yeah, and but but you know. It, even as a libertarian, it seems to me like just as media is a, is the fourth estate, right? Check on government. The reason we have government is for these exact problems. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat that I'm often very wary of government intervention. I don't know, like, I don't know how this gets 
helped or so it's got to be at least one pillar of how change happens so, i mean my what is it how does this change i think the answer is just yes it's like it's all of it mm-hmm. um i'm very also we should be very wary of how government gets involved here because we're then also combining this incredible the amount of yeah the, this power of data and of persuasion with government the only people who can lock you up and kill you um and so like you know like are we super excited to put all of this data and all, like, can, do we want Donald Trump telling us like how Facebook should be run? No, <laughs> like, exactly. I think, I think probably not. And if you do love Donald Trump, replace him with like a president who's yeah, coming no, later. Who I you want don't Elizabeth want Warren in to, charge of Facebook. Right. You know, and I, so it's it's very dangerous, I think, to for how government gets involved in this. And we should be very smart at uh, smart about how that happens. The Center for Humane Technology is thinking about that. Yeah, um, that. It's yeah, it's not my area. I have stepped aside from <laughs> from okay. from that side. My my check that I play on it is to try and play the the libertarian role of being like, are you sure? Are they just gonna mess this up worse? Like if they regulate that. Yeah. Um, but I'm not very active in that. That's an important check. And that involvement. I think so too. I'd I w- like more of it. This is a non sequitur, but I've been meaning to ask Derek, I've been meaning to ask you because your work is um, extremely personal. You know, I think the, at least in, in my relationships, when I, you know, when I go to a barber or get my hair done, these are like places where people go to connect even more so than, yes. you know, like, than how they look. Yeah, they care about how they look at the end, but oftentimes the way we feel walking out of, you know, a hair salon or a barber shop is a reflection of the connection that we made with the person that is working with us. That is absolutely true. And my experience on that is, you know, Michelangelo said, I saw the angel in the statue and the part of set it free. Uh, mm. Really, uh, what I do actually is help karmically remove what doesn't belong to them. And, and, and you get, taking all the, the woo-woo mystic vernacular out of it, really what you just described is absolutely true because beauty is a vibration. It is not an end result because if you put a blue suit on you and me and my favorite color is blue and you hate blue and the, the suit may fit you like a catskin glove. But if blue reminds you of something from childhood, maybe very, you can go Freudian on it and, and, it, and it just elicits something very awful for you, you're not going to feel good. And you can cut a blind person's hair, but the quality of your touch and what you choose to demonstrate and be for that person in that moment is a great midwife to how that person will leave and where they'll leave from energetically. So, so you've 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 touched on kind of social media with your with your colleagues and the way that they use it. And I'm curious, you know, what changes have you noticed in those that are coming in? you know, for a cut, for example, are they, are they more prone to ignore your presence and and be on their phone and ignore the connection? Are they using it as as a, (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling that I was going to say, not possible. (laughs) So, so, but you know, are, is it, do you sense that it's a, it's a respite for them from that activity and a place to connect? Like, have you noticed any changes? Very many. Uh, I, to, First of all, I'm so grateful that you all both have allowed me to be a part of this conversation. And I wanted to just say that I would not be a part of this conversation if Max Sussel had not come inside my chair as a client and has now become my friend and allowed me to be here today. So for both of well, you, I'm think very, we're very grateful for that. Lucky You're, to have you here. I, I'm blessed. You know, you, 
we were talking before about technology, and I, I'm going to answer your question. Um, Ga, uh, Buddha said, the, the Dalai Lama, right now, not Buddha, the Dalai Lama said not that long ago, a universal theology is impossible. But a conversation in the digital age about how the other experiences the divine in their life is not only possible, but in this age, necessary, because we've shrunk the world, and we've brought the sacred and unsacred both into our, our ever-shrinking field of awareness, because everything is so public. Everything, what's divine and is only talked about at kitchen tables is now seen very publicly. And yes, information and things are available to us at an ever-increasing rate, but now we have hit a mass peak of the amount of information that a human being and a spiritual being in a human experience can absorb at one time. And Gandhi said, there is more to life than increasing its speed. And like the tortoise and the hare, things can go faster. But taking some time to actually reside in the power of slow, in the instant I need, I want instant message, instant coffee, instant dating. Oh. You know. We're gonna have a, a oh, data no, scientist from Bumble and Tinder on here soon. Yeah, it's you know, and, and it's fun. So what I've it's noticed true. is that for that thirty minutes that people are in there getting their hair cut, they're beholden to me in a very submissive way, without me taking advantage of that. Actually, to because I will take that thirty minutes and we'll have a great conversation, hopefully. And uh, after that thirty minutes is done, I'm under a time restriction and then they they go on and they they have their life and uh but i who don't take a, i've taken a very light diet of social media if i have one talent in this life and it has nothing to do with cutting hair it would be my ability to talk to people on the level of the soul immediately it doesn't matter who it is i didn't know that it was a talent when i was five years old but i could go to a ball game and know everybody's name around me and share my cracker jacks with everybody <laughs> and know their name very in, very very innocently that way. and now it's so um to have my hand on the tops of somebody's head and meeting them through a mirror in real life talking about tell me how you experience the divine what is interesting is that people stop talking about the likes and the dislikes. And for those that don't even know what that is, they have to at least stop. And through the mirror, there's this great mental gap where the egoic part of them that they've been identified with is so arrested by having nothing to grab at and attach itself to that they themselves by catching themselves, by me aiding to catch them off guard from this thing they call them. This is not true, I'm not original to them. I'm just, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not blaming and shaming. I'm simply a living pointer at truth. What is true here? What is here? What is effortless? What is technicless? What is not five steps to getting to life? How to live your life? No, you are life. You are life itself. Mm. You're being breathed. Enlightenment comes with no, the next breath. No technique. No technique. How far is your authentic truth? 
But the one thing social media cannot change is the truth. Because the truth was here before the computer, it was here before the telephone, it was here before the, the shield and the spear, and before the loincloth. You know, truth is here. And we, each and every generation, since it is our time to be alive and in a spiritual being and human experience, have our, our chance to experience through the five senses and the six senses, if you're open to it, this dynamic expression called life. It seems to me that in this generation, we could use this technology for our betterment if we were interested as it accelerates to in the dualistic opposite world that we live in, the inter, inner dualistic play of opposites. We've caffeinated, we've ranted, we've accelerated toward instant. What about slowing down? Mm. What about lighter diet? Not because it's a high point thing. What about taking just a step back? What is it? And then looking, and what is it really? And to have as an experiment, a noticing of that, just as Max, you confirmed, some of the parents of these children you're inspiring are going, thank you, I don't know what you did, but my child, without any going on from me, is slowing down or turning off their app or turning on. It seems to me that when we awake to what is, with or without a computer or social media or any of these technological advances which are in the greatest intentions and, uh, to make our lives easier and have a freer, grander expression of things, if we can live without them, then they report to us. We consciously and powerfully pick it up and use it, and then we consciously put it down. They do not, we do not report to it, it reports to us. And I think there's a misidentification that we must keep up with this thing in order to have and maintain an egoic, conditioned, man-made self of identity, kind of identity that's not stable. But there must be something here that watches the acceleration of technology, the use of it for moral and amoral purposes, who you are to it, your preferences that come and go with your aging and as you gain wisdom and discernment, your wisdom and discernment that knows what other people's intentions are on social media based on the fact that you know them outside of social media. So you're like, ah, oh, that's what they want the world to think for all those that don't know that person, but I know that person. And whether, for better or for worse, we know, we have agreed, we have agreed to take on social media as a way of engaging with the world but we all know intrinsically somewhere that it's not the, it's not the absolute dynamic truth of that person or who we really are. And why we, we want each other to think that it is, is the, is the thing that needs to be busted, is the balloon that needs to be popped. It's like, okay, we know that it's not the truth. Everybody will have a sad moment when they run out of the room because 
their, their dad elicited, as you were saying, like a response that <laughs> maybe you got cooked in that moment through your conditioning. And that moment that you would rather not remember and not post on social media is no more the truth of who you are than this aggrandized moment of something that uh, you post as a nice memory. Is both your greatest memories of joy and your greatest grief watched from a deeper place. It's still unconditional and doesn't have a whole lot of preferences. But yet, there's love. Hmm. What I'm struck with is Derek goes up, waxes on his his own poetry <laughs> of like of is uh with don't apologize. It's oh, beautiful. Apologize. Is I you know we work so hard in our human interaction. I work with Derek, like trying to see through, trying to pierce the veil, trying to see through the layer of what we appear to be, as opposed to the true self of what we are. And it's almost like there's a there's an equally distant another step forward that we've gone for, step backward, either with tech, with the way we're representing ourselves with technology, which is like similar to as as I look at you here from a spiritual sense, like, am I looking at like the, am I looking at the, the you, you, or am I looking at a, a reflection of you, a body? It's almost like we took, we took one more down into social media and we're that far removed again and trying to understand each other on a deep level through this prism of chaos um, is so far removed. And on the, on slowness, which you touched on uh, to give the, you know, the most privileged example of all time. This year at Burning Man, I had an electric bike and it was, I had some friends who were very excited about it. And I noticed very quickly that like, I was like, this is not for me. Um, like I, I like, and in some cases, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm really far. I can get really far, really fast. This is awesome. Um, and I did ride it and I did use it, but I spent most of the time just pedaling with it off. Um, because I noticed that like, oh, it took me an extra three seconds to get by this place. And then I actually realized in that three seconds, I might want to stop. Um, or, oh, wow, it was a little bit harder on my legs to get here, which actually made me appreciate and enjoy like this thing itself and be less eager to just ride away onto the next thing. And so a lot so te- I, one of the principles I recommend with technology is that technology is a trade. It's like, what are we trading for connectivity? With Google Maps, I'm trading my data for being able to get from A to B. I'm super comfortable with that trade. I'm really bad with geography, and I'm super into that trade. I get lost all the time. With social media, in exchange for seeing a, like, seeing what my friends are doing, or, like, I am trading in some ways peace of mind, in some ways my time, in some ways my, like, stress levels. Like, can we look at the trades that we're making as we accept and say yes to this technology. And I think one of the most helpful things I can offer is just to, to, you know, to be skeptical. If we're starting to introduce a new tool into our lives, to not mm-hmm. just see it as this golden bullet of, aha, now this solves the problem. Of it's like, okay, what, what is this going to introduce? How is this going to change my relationship with this activity that I'm doing? And do I like that? What do I not like losing from that? Is there another way to replace that? And it's very hard in social media because it's so much and so much of our lives and it all comes down at once. And of course, we're all looking for like this. How do we have a healthy balance and healthy relationship with this? And I'm getting better at it every day, but I don't think I figured it out. And I think we're in the process of figuring it out. 
And with kids, some people say it's like a car. We just need to give them a license before they drive. I don't think we adults know how to drive yet with this technology. Um, and I hope in this generation we start to figure it out. And I hope the tech companies help us. I hope that governments help us very carefully. Um, and I hope that we as consumers can demand technology that is actually thinking about our lives and our values in a more productive way. A social network. What does a social network look like that helps us spend more time with the people that we've indicated that we care about? help us illuminate new opportunities or experiences that people later rate as meaningful. Um, you might go on Yelp and see, I have no idea if you're on Yelp, see Derek as a barber rating of whatever. If you were to really look at like what we were, if we were rating categories of like meaning and fulfillment, it's like experiences or individuals we might not otherwise encounter that leave us feeling incredibly fed and filled up could naturally rise to the top. Technology can be a tool to help illuminate things that are helping people in really amazing and meaningful ways. Those things are harder to measure. It's not as simple as I clicked on this, I scrolled on this, I spent 20 minutes watching this thing as opposed to I spent 20 minutes watching this thing and then I like went to sleep and felt crappy in the morning versus I spent 20 minutes watching this thing and I went out and I made this and I like there's a big difference in the type of content and the way that it impacts our lives and ourselves. Um, and I'd love to see technology that actually plays to that. And I would love to, see, you know, I would love to see newer companies working and thinking about it in that way. It's very hard. It's very hard to compete with the big guys. So, like, really, I would love to see Apple protecting our time and lives and attention through that lens. Um, but it's, you know, maybe we're at the beginning and sometimes when I eat a bunch of mushrooms or eat LSD, it all feels perfect and we're going in the perfect direction. <laughs> it's all going exactly where it needs to go. Um, oh, you just opened that door, huh? But it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's scary to look at, it's scary to look at the state of it now, but I do, I do trust that in some, in some higher way, we're where we need to be and going where we need to go. Yeah, I wish that, you know, just like my parents who would have unplugged the Nintendo on a hot summer day in the middle of June and said, hey, go outside and float, throw a Frisbee. I, I, in answer to your question, is, is it the corporation's job or is it trickle-down hierarchy? Whose job is it to decide ethically and morally what, what the use of these things are? I think, first of all, the adults in the room who certainly, with children, no matter who your God is, what you pray to or where you pray from, from certainly an amount of time devoted to stillness, venerating that by which any of us are here, and then imparting the wisdom of intimacy, by right? intimacy, real connection with your children, uh, independently of technology, and teaching them through strategically saying, you know what? No more of this. Not this at the kitchen table. Or how about when we go out to a restaurant, how many kids get handed a phone because mm -hmm. it's just easier because so then they'll hard. behave. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's teach them a way of engaging. And just like we were as kids, you know, I knew when I went into a restaurant at eight or nine years old what the consequences would be if I, you it's know, didn't, uh, didn't comply. And I'm not necessarily saying corporal punishment. You know, but, uh, or, you know, swat your kid, but, um, yeah. Uh, well, what I'm, what I'm hearing from both of you, I mean, you know, Derek, what I, what I heard from you earlier was, um, you know, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for that duality that you described as we're accelerating and accelerating with technology. You know, Naval, Naval Ravikant said, we need, said something around the lines of like, we need 
we need to develop superhuman powers to create focus, you know, in this age of distraction, basically something along those lines. And perhaps this technology is a stepping stone towards that stillness, that slowness, because we've kind of reached peak acceleration. We've reached peak, you know, distraction, peak information. I mean, maybe it, maybe it can continue to accelerate a little bit further, but I just feel we're so stuffed full of content and info that now the, you know, I feel we're moving to a place where the new internet, the new technology, where it used to be about how much can I find, you know, where can I get the tail end of content? How much can I consume? Now it's going to be about curation. It's going to be about discernment. And maybe that's where, you know, where this work can, can go. This work with Center for Humane Technology is encouraging the better, the betterment of, of individuals through, you know, cutting through, cutting through the noise. There's a lot of noise and it's a tough, it's a tough challenge. Um, but that's yeah. definitely one of the, one of the pillars. The main focus of the organization is really about changing the way technology is designed. My mm-hmm. personal work in it, in the education space has been more and more trying to find, and it's a hard process and yeah, I need more people doing it, but to really, really look at it from a human standpoint and think like, what are the tools that are being really helpful at helping us navigate these very, very scary waters? Um, but actually, I'm, I mean, I'm curious of within the context of fire. Uh, so, I mean, my understanding of the festival is like it was a, this was a an expensive festival targeted marketed through influencer marketing and creating a like a buzz on social media of this is going to be a place where like you can party with celebrities and models, people who have big Instagram followings. You're going to, you're going to look like you're living the life. Yeah. Um, and like, that was the dream that was sold, which is like sort of the ultimate Instagram. It's, it's what I would call like the new American dream in some ways. Ugh. It's like we consume. Yeah. I mean, oh, exactly. It's like we, you know, the, the idea that experiences. Um, experiencing life is is maybe superior to consumption like the mentality of like you are what you own versus like what you are what you how you act or what you do in the way that we talked about earlier in this episode the internet kind of perverses these some seemingly good ideas it's like not you are how you act or how you behave it's like you are what you have done lately and only if you can capture it so you can consume it and then push it back out to show this is who I am because this is where I've been and this is what I do. And, and this I was going to be like the, the this was going to be the event of like everyone know everyone is there. You're taking pictures of the same pictures at the same place that these Instagram influencers and celebrities are taking pictures at. Yep. Like look, I'm like I'm living the life. And I'm the new the idea of the new American dream of being like I can show you like how awesome as I can show you how awesome my life is. And then the reality of the situation turned out to be yeah, a disaster of yeah, like a dumpster, the, fire. a dumpster fire for the event itself. Um, and then I feel like what my understanding of what people fed off of so much was is like, that's a juicy story for people. If it's like, look, like these people who are spending crap loads of money to like go show off their lifestyles. Yeah. It's like they then got like got had this horrible experience. Like they got their just dessert, like look at this. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Um, and but so like, as you were going through that and watching it happen, like, I'm curious as to, I'm curious to what your experience with social media was throughout that funnel and throughout that process. Yeah. And also particularly of like, with the, 
I mean, you feel like it felt like it reached a point where it became cool to show off the disaster, hmm. right? Like that was a thing people started to share where it was like, now I'm in the know, I'm in this thing that's starting to trend and that is like a, and I can capitalize on that. Mm-hmm. It seemed like there also was a like, like there probably was, I would guess, I'm not totally spitballing, but I would guess that there's like some people who were like, I don't want to show that I'm associated with this thing at all. And like, I'm just going to keep quiet and not share. There can be some people who are like, this is a disaster. I'm talking about this and look, I'm in the know. I can show how it's a disaster. Mm. I'm curious about like how the influencer, your experience of the influencers who like Mm. brought people there and how they, how their tunes might've changed throughout, or if it feels like they've been doing different things, but it's probably a question for them. Well, there's, there's a, there's a couple of things that I can point to. I mean, one thing, you know, when something like fire happens, then there's a reaction to it. And, um, and I think one of the benefits of fire happening was prior to fire, there was no such thing. And I I don't know if it's 100% causation or just correlation, but prior to fire, there was no sponsored post on Instagram. So all of those posts that, you know, Amrata and Bella Hadid and these other women got paid massive amounts of money to do and that promo video that they were paid to be in were not posted as advertisements. They were posted as, this is us having a blast on the beach and you should come too because it's gonna be so fun. Right. And like, since then, if you wanna post about a product and you're getting paid or an experience and you're getting paid, it says sponsored. So in the very least, people know that you're, the incentives are not 100% aligned. It's not just you sharing your passion. I would probably guess that like, 40% of people know with the sponsor to my guest of meetings, like a little sponsored word you're oh, scrolling of like, you, it, doesn't go far, it doesn't go far enough. But also, I mean, even st- it's like, and Rushkoff did this generation like, and you're working with kids. Like, it sounds like they don't even know what they don't even have the term selling out. Like they don't know what sponsored, what sponsored, what's it's not like sponsored. a part of the culture of like, yeah. you want to be an influencer. So people will pay you to yeah. do your thing. That's interesting. And so after, I mean, after fire, the interesting thing about fire too is like the way that it was, it was, so this is the problem. I think it highlights the problem with, with social media, with web too. The the problem is it incites us to action regardless of the, the intuition or the, the intention behind the action and the actions that seem to gain the most traction are, are seemingly and this is subjective, but the worst, the worst sides of ourselves, it's our anger. You know, you see this on kind of like political Twitter and, and Facebook, like, how dare you, you know, post a pro Trump post, you know, I, I hate that man. And I hate you click unfollow. We're not friends anymore. Um, anger, right. And jealousy and envy. So FOMO. So Instagram is the great comparison engine, right? If you feel less than, as you said earlier, then, you know, you go on Instagram, you're going to feel worse because you're just not feeling whole in yourself. You're not feeling sound in in who you are. And then you see other people doing great things. There's always going to be somebody on vacation these days, you know, whose life looks incredible on Instagram. And then the irony of fire was it was built up on, on envy. And then it was brought down by schadenfreude. Right, because that's another thing. People yeah, like Jackass well was the, the beginning internet, of right? yeah. it's like, ooh, this is the best thing <laughs> I can dive into. It. Yeah. And with Derek here, I mean one thing Derek and I talk about sometimes is how like maybe you would, depending on where someone's at and where they're listening from, how you might say one thing to one person, another to another. 
Um, but like, what is the moment that most of us, when do we go on social media? Like, when do I, when am I literally pulling out my phone, opening that app and moving my thumb up? Like, when am I going into that? Maybe when I wake up in the morning, maybe when I go to bed, like I try not to do it at those times, but like, you know, I'm bored or uncertain of what to do in the day. I'm feeling kind of just like, ah, I don't know. Am I like, wow, I'm going to go on social media right now because I'm looking for some inspiration or like, I'm going to go. And like, for me, sometimes it's like, oh, I want to send that person a message and then like, I'll get lost. I got sucked sucked into the thing. But I feel like it's very rarely that we're going in there in a listening mindset of like, I'm ready to receive something or ready to, it's just not very. Or or we're responding to something because you said reaction. And, and if somebody does something to you and it elicits anger or revenge, then your response is reactionary. A response is very different. A response actually doesn't mean that anger or um, all those other things aren't there. But what it does do is take a step back from the entire situation, go within, take a moment to have a little bit of discernment around what is this, what is it really. When two people that really love each other, it's the same reason why they take a, if, if the argument gets heated, they take a walk around the block independently of each other, figuratively or literally, so that they can re-enter the conversation with responses to each other versus it just being a combustible, reactionary, very volatile, uh, you know, response that they're having to each other. um, Social media is a very reactionary place. Yeah, completely. to, to your point about about the the discom- about um, you know why people go on and, and the reaction reactionary element of that, um, you know we were talking about Nirayal who came on and and I, I don't agree with everything he said but one thing that I re- that really resonated was the these actions are all based on um, or much of human action is about um, about removing discomfort and so it seems like the times that I go on social media is when I'm bored. When I'm anxious, when I'm seeking entertainment, seeking validation, um, you know, and, and need to be entertained or just distracted. And I don't want to be alone with my thoughts, with myself, and maybe not even consciously. It's not like I'm like, oh, I don't really want to be alone with my thoughts right now. Let me take out my phone. It's just right. like, it's like uh, I'm waiting in line, phone out, like, because God forbid I have to sit there for 10 minutes and do nothing. Because people have never done that before. And so they, the ego has a preconceived idea of if they had to do that, if your phone dies and you have no <laughs> way to get to a charger, life may force you to go to that place. But actually... Um, I would challenge anyone who would be afraid of going to that place not to do it because it's holy, not because it promises that you'll levitate, you'll get rich, or you know you'll uh, <laughs> see a multitude of the heavenly hosts, but just to go through that door because it's what's never been done before. And so then notice what you notice when you've gone through that door. And what's interesting too is that you say you can speak about it. If you can speak about it, I don't want to go through that door because, oh, it would be boring. Or I don't, you know, I, 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 I don't, that seems uninteresting to me. It's interesting that Freud said the underlying emotion of boredom is rage. It's very interesting mm. that somehow being distracted and having these, this thing available to us, if it's taken away, very interesting. I would say, especially for parents, what does it elicit in your children if whether they heed Max's invitation to put it down for a season or a moment or permanently if they so choose, what would it elicit if you were just in this generation to remove it consciously as a parent and say, 
we're just going to do a little exercise together. You, your father, me, and you. You know, just as a family, just to see what it would. I mean, you're going to, you are, you will meet. You will meet the Frankenstein's monster in your children. <laughs> For a little while. For a little while. And, and in ourselves as well. Yeah. I mean, I've been on some, these digital sure. detoxes are getting, re- it is worth it. They're getting really popular now as a reaction. And people, um, you know, people have real emotional responses when they, when they realize that first time, the first time you get your phone off of you for like a digital detox or a digital Sabbath or whatever you want to call it, and you unconsciously reach your hand in your pocket to pick up your phone and it's not there, it's like a, oh, oh, whoa. It's, <laughs> it's like seeing your, it's like being happen. naked, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> One story I actually I want to tell um, that Adam, who's my roommate who just walked in, um, busted me and not busted me, but like it kind of busted me on. But we went to get uh, went to get barbecue. He we rode our bikes. There was no there was no lock for his bike. Um, he was like, oh, I'm going to wait with the bikes. Like, will you order? And I said, sure. It was a long line. So I waited for like 10, 15 minutes, came out and he asked me, he goes, how was the line? And I was like, uh, it, it was fine. Like I went on my phone, like, I, I don't know, it was a line. It was like, it wasn't really anything to, anything to, anything happening. It's like, there's always something happening. Um, and then he, he goes, and you know, it sounds funny when you meet Adam, it all makes more sense. Um, <laughs> he was, and then he was like, he's told me a story about this woman who walked by and had this t-shirt on said, how do you get to Carnegie hall? And on the back said, practice, practice, practice. And he liked that. And this other girl was taking a picture and like, he was wondering why she's so into this picture. He didn't see a bit. It was just like, he had two stories. Like he left those 15 minutes with two stories that were interesting. And he was a more interesting person because he wasn't on his phone. I went into my phone, I texted a bunch of people, I was kind of mindless, and I came out of that experience a less interesting person in those same 15 minutes because I didn't make the choice of, all right, what's going on here? What do I want to choose to notice? Because there always is something to look at. And yeah, it's not going to be a home run every time for sure. And sometimes phone may be more interesting. But I feel like what's missing from a lot of this conversation is like the global conversation about this stuff is just intention. It's just like, Am I just, uh, I'm in line, ah, uh, crap, okay, this is, I don't want to be here, I'm looking at my phone, versus, all right, I've got 15 minutes right now, like, what do I want to do, do with these 15 minutes, of like, you know what, I want to call that friend that is on a phone, I want to FaceTime, like, you know what, like, I want to go on social media, because I want to see what this person is up to, and I haven't seen them in a long time, and I want to, you know, maybe calling them is better for that, bad example. But like, can we think? I want to laugh, or I want to laugh. I want to write. Like, I want to write. I want to. There are plenty of reasons that might involve the phone. But can we stop? It's like I really think so much of this work is about noticing, paying attention, and intention. Yes. And can we think about what do I want to do at this time? Because it has never been easier to run from ourselves in a moment of boredom, or a moment of anxiety, or a moment of discomfort, and it's not conscious. The found one of the uh, one of the Facebook like early Facebook employees talked about how one of the reasons that infinite scroll works was because of a hardware innovation, which was the switch from a mouse where you had to click the down, down, down to the trackpad little scrolly guy or this little, um, 
I'm, and I'm moving my fingers very small amount of the, <laughs> yeah, the thing on the on the computer where you just slide your fingers to scroll down. Yeah, the touch because pad. our the touchpad, our fingers move so little on that as we scroll that we almost don't register that it's happening. Uh-huh. So we'll just go and go and go and go and go. Like and it's almost it almost it almost feels soup. good too. It's like a, like a cat kind of like right. doing its paws on of, <laughs> And as we feed our brains, it's sort of more and more and more and more. If we had to just keep on clicking and actively clicking and clicking, we probably would turn it off a little bit faster. Um, but yeah, intention, 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 intention. And I forget who said this, but it is necessarily true. I, I, it is nonetheless true. Uh, it takes 21 days to create a new habit. And um, in that thing of encouraging people to slow down, I'm a great, it's a great teacher. Look her up. Her name is Mary Menon Morrissey. She's been an interfaith and transformational teacher for a long time. And yeah, I remember her watching her in a podcast one, or listening to her in a podcast once, uh, or it might have been a YouTube video. But she nevertheless said, if you were to slow down enough to, to treat every day as a life in miniature, that today will have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And enough gratitude in your heart to know that some people did not wake up today and some people will not get to the end of the day to reach their pillow before the entire curriculum of their life will have been completed. And now I'm paraphrasing. If you were to slow down enough, nothing wrong with dream building and creating a future, but if you were to look at every single day as a life in miniature, then maybe more of what Pema Chodron, the Buddhist nun, said when she said, since death is certain and the time of death is uncertain, what is the most important thing? And I, and I do, I really do hold that up every single day. I really, I try to, I really do. I don't need to do it perfectly. So the inner perfectionist, he's caught. The, the, just the idea, the intention to, wow, today is on my life in miniature. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. What do I have control over? Where I put my attention? And that is absolutely everything in terms of what I'm in control of. It's everything, where I place my attention. Who will I give my attention to? What will, who will I meet? Who am I hanging with? What am I interested in? Is it life giving or is it life stealing? Those what you notice. And then if it's a beginning, middle, and end, why wouldn't you share every day on social media and then you have this whole story of that? Touche, dark No, but in an interesting way, it, it's a thing to notice. And I think something I really admire about Adam um, is like that in noticing that, it can be very tempting of like the moment it's like, ooh, that's an insight. I could share that. I could turn this life experience into likes. Like I could, I could do that. Ooh, I just saw a thing. People might like that. Um, it's interesting to watch ourselves and watch where the motivations come from and nothing wrong with sharing those things out, but just interesting to notice how addictive the nature can be. If we are consistently, we, we end up starting to look for the things so we can post it as opposed to having an experience. And then where are we coming from? Where are we coming from? Where are we coming from? What's the motivation? What's the motivation? What's the motivation? And then like sharing when we feel truly called to share and, and not experiencing to share. It's, it's really, I think, a nuanced line um, because it is. Like when, Because why not? What? You're having this a beginning, middle of an end. You're learning things. Why don't you want to share what you're learning with everybody? Don't be selfish. Don't keep it in. Um, and you can make that argument. Uh, but it's it's just, it's, it's a challenging game. There's a paradox game. of it where if you have a really deep insight into something that inspires you to actually look at life forever changed from a different place, your seeing and your revelation about what you have come to know uh, will just be the fruit and the perfume 
of your presence wherever you go. And there's a part of you that can trust that that integration is happening and that as your egoic identity is dissolving, then um, a greater light is shining through the template of your life and your circle of influence in your daily walk in life without social media is actually just as powerful, just as important, just as valid and just as potent, if not more so than, than social media itself. But certainly social media itself also with great intention can inspire people, millions of people, in a very fast and accelerated way to greater freer expression. I wish there was more of a formula to share, you know? Like everyone's looking for the formula to share of like what, the technique of what the like, how, like, oh, if I do it like this, then I'm sharing with intention. And like, you know, some questions you can ask yourself of like, where is this coming from? But even still the levels of awareness it takes, just really challenging and exhausting. And one thing that did help me if, so if you're someone who's sharing a lot and this is helping you reflect of like, huh, why am I sharing? Like, cool, that's a helpful exercise, I think, of like to, to understand your why better. If you're more on the side of me where you almost never share anything because you overthink yourself into holes of, oh my God, why and what's the point and what's going on here? One, cool, to each their own, do your thing. But one thing I have found helpful from Gary Vaynerchuk actually was just like, you never know about like the one life you're really gonna save or change and like, the lens of, ooh, do I have anything that like one person really needs to hear? And can I share that like, and can I be, can I be good enough with myself to know that like, you know what, like maybe this gets four likes, but like some one person out there like really needs this message and I'm going to deliver it from that. And this is where I'm on podcast. You can't see what I'm doing with my hand or read the body language or tone as I'm about to describe the other place, but like something that comes from the other place, stomach to to (laughs) to neck hand to stomach to neck hand, the other place to that out the throat, out of the heart and throat of like to that one person or two people or, you know, who just really needs to hear that one thing. Cause so powerful and social media does save lives in that way too. I truly, I do not want to throw the icy baby out with the bathwater. But yeah, but it's, you know, I think thoughtfulness is often a helpful tool. Beautiful. Yeah. I think there's, um, there's so many places that we could continue to go. Um, I think this has already been one of the longest episodes um, that I've done. And, and because we've had it packed with such powerful content and it was really enjoyable chatting with you guys. Um, I think, you know, leaving it with, with intention uh, is, is a great place. I guess, you know, Max, I want to give you uh, the opportunity to just let anyone listening know how they can find you. And there's a bunch of things that Derek mentioned that you mentioned that I'm going to post in the show links. Uh, and I hope that we get to do this again sometime. Yeah, we'll do a, we'll do a part two. We can focus more on the poetry in that one. Um, yeah. And yeah, so for me, I'm Max Stossel, um, at Max Stossel, if you want to watch me criticize social media on social media. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> Uh, and again, I am somewhat hypocritical in this, and it has been helpful to my career. Um, but it's, yeah, this is the double edge of the story <laughs> we're talking about. Um, I'm wordsthatmove.com is where you can find a lot of my work. And yeah, especially to those of you in LA, would love to see you at the show, Dynasty Typewriter, November 6th. You can find the details for that at wordsthatmove.com. Yeah, and I'll, I'll post that on my social media accounts. There you go. Another reason for being on, we'll share, it's my share that, and I hope to be there. Um, 
you know, I am I am kind of called to say just just one other thing on on this kind of hit, quote unquote hypocrisy that you mentioned. There's a guru here in New York named Dharma Mitra, and um, I went to Dharma's workshop, um, you know, maybe like five years ago, and and learned breath work with him. And I started doing this breath practice, this pranayama practice that he taught. And I said, after like about two weeks of doing it every morning, I felt this this power. I felt this excitement and um, was walking down the street kind of like feeling, you know, like my, my shit doesn't stink for lack of a better word. And, and I asked him, I went to him, I was disturbed by the sense of, of ego that it was driving in me. And I was like, Hey Dharma, you know, I'm doing this breath work and it's powerful stuff. Like I can feel the newfound power that this is offering me and the new energy. And I, it worries me. Um, and he kind of shared with me that a little bit of an ego is actually an okay thing. Um, especially on the path towards, um, towards God or spirit or, or, you know, the superconscious or Gaia or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, it's, it's what, it's what almost drives us towards that path to start. Yeah. Healthy ego is, is great. You know, we can't sit under the Bodhi tree for the rest of our life and expect, you know, uh, that, uh, we're being a participant in the dynamic expression of life in a real true and meaningful way, especially in this technologically advanced way. I humbly want to just plug and say, uh, if you'd like to find me, Derek Dwayne, uh, Reverend Derek Dwayne uh, for a haircut. I'm at fellow barber in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, wherever you come from on a visit, or if you live in the vicinity, I would love to meet you for one very interesting conversation. Um, it's and haircut. absolutely been such a beautiful part of my life. I'm so grateful to have met Derek. Yeah. And fellow barber totally by chance. I just went in for a haircut and then was just in awe of, his yeah his wisdom and the you know, like one the story I like to tell is that yeah you know, Derek has like three graduate degrees one in like divinity one in theater and one in cosmetology and he cuts hair he's on his way to becoming a preacher but as a gay man Derek decided to go a different route and he cuts the reason he cuts hair is to be able to deliver his one-on-one sermons to people and not just deliver sermons but wow. engage people and share the beauty and light in that incredibly intimate way and he does that and it is Awesome. I mm. highly recommend Bella Barber on North 8th and Williamsburg. Derek Hayes. And I think you all just got a taste of that um, oh, in Lord. here. I mean, adding a ton to the conversation and it was like a really pleasant surprise. And I need to get better mics, but it was the first time that we had three people on the show. And uh, I hope you all enjoyed it. And even if it resonated with one person or even if it didn't, because it resonated with me and I'm appreciative of that, then it will have been worth it. So thank you both for oh. joining me here. This has been super fun. Thank you, so Mark. Great humbled. to meet you. Thank you both. And thank you. Yes. <laughs> thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. And I hope that you're enjoying the podcast. It's been a really fun ride so far. I just get so excited every time I meet some of these incredible people and just love sharing their stories and and ideas with you all. You can learn more about the show at thelookuppodcast.com. That's T-H-E, lookuppodcast.com. You can follow me on social media 
at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N on both Twitter, Instagram, um, and Medium and Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook page for the show as well, The Lookup Podcast um, on Facebook. So check us out. Uh, you can also subscribe to our mailing list on the website for more future updates. If there's anything from the show that you want to catch, I've posted that in the show links for you to check out. And if there's any way that I can improve, please let me know. Feel free to reach out. If you have any guest recommendations, please let me know. Other than a couple of individuals who are helping me out in the background, you know, this is a passion project and I'm always open to feedback and any kind of support. I want to thank Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the sound editing and the intro and outro song that he created. And I want to thank Hello There Collective for their support on my social media. You can check them out at hellotherecollective.com. All right, that's enough for me. I'm sure you're ready to go on to your next activity. Thank you for listening. And please come back again next week for another episode of the Look Up podcast. Podcast.